Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoyed the sermon today. God bless. All right. Well, good morning, Renew Church. It's good to be here with you. Um, I'm so thankful to be here, so thankful for Wilson to allow me to be up here. My wife and I can probably count on both hands how many times we've been to Renew Church, and yet it feels like family. We feel like we're home. Um, And so I'm very thankful to be doing this. Our story today is about demon possession. And so now I'm a little bit more understanding of why Wilson so willingly (laughs) handed this story off to me. Um, But I think there's some beautiful, wonderful things to explore in this story today. Uh, To remind ourselves of where we're at in the book of Luke, we um, just two weeks ago, we're looking at the transfiguration, this amazing moment where Jesus' glory is revealed to three of his disciples. It's, it's grand, it's, it's, it's exquisite, it's something we all wish we could have been there to see the transfigured Jesus. And they're having this beautiful, wonderful mountaintop experience with their Lord. It's something that I think we all seek, as we, we talked about, we, we sometimes seek the mountaintop experience, the spiritual high, the the glory of Christ and God and the beauty of seeing him for who he is. And for myself, when I think of, uh, of the mountain, of, of meeting God in the mountain, I, I think of a, a literal mountain, a literal place, Lake Arrowhead, as uh, a place where I had many spiritual moments, awakenings, revelations, great connections with God up in the mountain, the trees, his creation, his beauty. Oh, this is where I want to be. And um, when I was, uh, had graduated Biola, I found myself down in the dumps, down in the valley. Uh, I graduated thinking that, uh, like all college students, when you, once you graduate, people are just willing to hand you a job. Please, please, come work for us. And uh, that didn't happen. I was, I was jobless. Uh, I was uh, about to be homeless. I was a month away from not having a place to live. Uh, I was penniless was calling my parents and asking for more money, Um, and uh, and I was girlfriendless, okay? So just, I had nothing, nothing going on for me. Um, And so my, my, my thought was, well, maybe if I journey up to Lake Arrowhead and I have this grand, beautiful connection with God up there, he'll reveal himself, he'll tell me what to do, where to go, um, where I should apply, and I'll get all this great revelation and I can come back down the mountain and life will be figured out and exactly what I want it to be. On my way up to Lake Arrowhead, I was a little hungry. So I stopped at uh, a fine establishment and as I'm pulling out of McDonald's, um, I, 
I just, I didn't see the car that was coming and I got T-boned. And it was completely my fault. I just, I didn't see the car. And uh, being a uh, unwise 22-year-old, get, after getting into a car accident, and I'm, I'm right at the base of the mountain. I'm right at the base. I could probably still drive this car up here. <laughs> and uh, so I drive, I drive it up to the mountain. I had to crawl. My door wouldn't open because of the accident. I had to crawl through uh, the shattered window uh, with glass still falling off me because um, I, I, was, I was so determined to have this moment with God, to be up here, the solo camping trip, going to experience the glory of God, and the car accident isn't going to stop me. I had a pretty good, an okay time in Lake Arrowhead, <laughs> seeking his glory, seeking his revelation. And coming back down the mountain, I had to face the realities again, that um, my situation hadn't yet changed. And now I had a car that was deemed totaled. So now I'm carless, okay? Now I'm, I'm missing all these things. Um, as all I wanted to do was to stay up in the mountain, like Peter and the disciples. Lord, can we, can we build a tabernacle here? Can we just stay here? Stay here. I don't want to go back down. I don't want to face the realities that are before me. Our story today is the story of Jesus and those three disciples coming back down the mountain and facing the chaos, um, the unfortunate reality of our world. I'm going to read the story for us uh, from beginning to end. It's uh, Luke 9, 37 through 43. It says, The next day, after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you. Look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, you faithless and a corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to the man, bring your son here. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. Awe gripped the people as they saw the, majest the majestic display of God's power. This is our word for today. The way I've been thinking about this sermon and, and the way I've been titling it in my mind is coming down the mountain. Uh, this is the moment where... Um, uh, Jesus and his disciples move back into the reality, back into the chaos. Um, they were, the three of them got to delight in Jesus' majesty only to be interrupted by the trials and tribulations of this world. The failure of the disciples, the, the reality of demons and evil spirits and brokenness and the need for healing. And what I love even just packed into this little story is, is this, this mini gospel right here. Here's Jesus who, um, his glory revealed, decides to leave it behind to come back down the mountain and engage with people, to heal, to restore. Um, the verse that, that kept coming to my mind as I was reading this, this is from Philippians chapter two. It says, though he, talking about Jesus, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, he gave up his divine privileges, 
He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself to obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Packed in Paul's words here is is the gospel message that Christ is, is God with us, God among us. And he did not consider his divine privilege uh, something to cling to. He didn't consider this transfiguration, his glory revealed as something to cling to, but rather he came back down the mountain. Rather, Christ steps out of the heavenly realm and joins us here in the dirt and the brokenness and the wickedness and the evil and our sin, and he confronts it, he heals it, and he restores it. There's a gospel message right here in the story from Luke that Jesus meets us down here. He doesn't stay up there. He doesn't ask us to stay up in the mountains seeking the spiritual highs um, and not wanting to face the realities of the world. He takes us back down with him. He went back down here. He came down here and confronted the demons, confronted the brokenness, confronted the sin, It's the gospel message. This is who Jesus is. And it feels really beautiful to consider that of Jesus. And then we look at his words in the story here. And they feel a little harsh for Jesus. Uh, In fact, um, it it feels quite off from what we usually hear from Jesus. He's very loving. He's very um, open and welcoming. But here, uh, Jesus has these words here. This is verse 41. Verse 41. You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? And he said to the man, bring your son here. So Jesus, uh, his disciples come back down. And you can imagine, like I've been imagining the three disciples who got to go up with the transfiguration. They're glowing, they're excited. And I, I imagine them kind of judging the other disciples who failed <laughs> to cast out this demon, right? There's conflict here. You have a father whose only son, the emphasis here in Luke, is on the only son, this only son of of the father, and his son is possessed by a demon. And the violence that Luke describes it with, convulsions, throwing him to the ground, screaming, foaming at the mouth. This This is a hard scene, a difficult scene to picture a father begging Jesus, help me, help me. And Jesus' response feels a little weird here. And and the first question I had as I was reading this is, who is Jesus talking to? It would feel really messed up if he was talking to the Father, right? And I I don't think he is. I I think Jesus is speaking to his disciples. The Father coming to him and saying, I begged your disciples, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus' response to that is, you faithless and corrupt people. And the other reason I don't think he's talking to the father is that then it says, then he said to the man, so now it's turned his direction to the father, bring your son here. Jesus' words here of of faithless and corrupt, they feel feel so harsh. Um, They feel almost unwarranted. They've, They've failed. We've seen that over and over again with the disciples. It's not something new. But Jesus has these strong words for him. When we look at um, the beginning of this section in Luke 9, part of why I think Jesus is uh, giving these words to his disciples is when we look at the very beginning of Luke 9, it says, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples. This is something we've we've already gone over, but 
Uh, Jesus called the 12 disciples. He gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That word there, all, is there in the Greek. It's, it's the emphasis that they have authority over all of this, and Jesus has handed it off to them. And yet what we've seen in the story has been, uh, has been their failure to do so. Christ has empowered his disciples, but something has caused them to waver in this empowerment. And we get Jesus' response of faithless and corrupt. Now, Jesus, uh, his, his phrasing here, uh, most scholars believe he's pulling directly from Deuteronomy 32. Uh, Deuteronomy 32 is, is way in our Old Testament. Um, the scene here is Moses is uh, giving this one last grand speech to uh, the generation that is going to enter into the promised land. And Moses is before them and he's saying, look, you have an, you have an opportunity to choose between life and death, blessing, curses, make the choice for life, make the choice for blessings, choose to obey and be faithful to God. And then Deuteronomy chapter 32 is this long poem or song by Moses, and it starts with him recounting all the amazing things God has done for his people as they've journeyed from the Exodus, God saving his people from slavery And as they've wandered in the wilderness and God has provided food and water for them and taken care of them along their journey, and Moses is recounting all these great moments and miracles and power and acts by God. And after he does that, he says, but they, Moses, talking about the people, have acted corruptly toward him. When they acted so perversely, are they really his children? They are a faithless and corrupt generation. There's that phrase from Jesus. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Moses, he's fed up at this point. Um, You can feel it. He says, isn't he your father who created you? Has he not made you and established you? Remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Ask your father, he'll tell you. Ask your elders, they will tell you. So Moses is looking back, and he's looking at, at the people. He's telling them, you know, I want you to choose to be faithful, Follow God. And there's actually, even before this song, Moses has a moment where he says to the people, I know you're not going to, but I really hope you do. (laughs) He knows the human condition. And Jesus is kind of living out the same experience of Moses here, of of looking at a group, a disciples, a, a crowd who has seen miracle after miracle, act of Jesus, heard the amazing things he's done, And yet they seem to forget. They seem to forget. This is Moses who has watched this group of people see amazing things, things that I would love to have seen. I feel like if I saw even a fraction of some of the miracles in the Old Testament that these people got to saw, my faith would be solid. And yet the human condition is we still see these amazing things from God and we tend to forget The people in the wilderness wandering with Moses have forgotten. They turn to other gods. They start worshiping uh, other deities. They, They have their own idols. They disobey. They forget the things God has done. And here is Jesus pulling these same words from Moses, looking at the disciples, calling them faithless and corrupt. Ooh, that hurts. But it's because they seem to have forgotten all that Jesus has done, forgotten the empowerment 
from Jesus. They have seen him heal over and over and over again. Um, I grew up in a, in a Baptist tradition, so very, uh, very conservative in how we saw the miracles of, of Jesus and how we see them uh, today. And um, I was confronted with this reality of, do I really believe that Jesus can heal people when I was on a mission trip uh, to the country of Nepal? Um, we were at a church, if you could, oh yes, this is uh, the church we're at. We were in Nepal, a group of college students from Biola. We were there for a little over a month. And we were working with different churches in Nepal, um, helping them develop like a children's ministry, letting them kind of take it on and develop it and run with it, but just there to help out. And we had gone to this church. It was, it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere, far from the city we were staying in. And our first day there, we're, we're meeting with the, uh, with the pastors and the elders of the church and the, in the congregation. We're worshiping with them. It's a beautiful moment as we're singing, great is thy faithfulness. We're singing it in English. They're singing it in Nepali. Beautiful picture of God's family. And at the end, we're, we're praying and... Um, and uh, we're praying for different people in the church, and in comes this woman who um, has crutches, and the assumption is that her leg has, has been hurt. And we're, we're working with um, translators, and um, all we understand is that she can't walk on this leg, that she needs the crutches uh, to help her. So they ask us to pray for her. And in my mind in the moment, I'm thinking, yes, we will pray for healing. I've done this a million times, praying for healing. But if I'm honest with myself, I never actually expect healing to happen there in the moment. Never believe that's going to happen. And so we say our prayers, we, we, we pray. It feels like every other prayer I've ever said when it comes to healing. Lord, if it's up to, it's up to you, you're the great healer. I, I, you know, I hand this off to you. Um, but I'm not feeling it in, in my conviction that this is really going to happen. But I've got the words for it. We pray for her. We leave the church. Uh, we're going to come back a couple days later. We get in our van. And as we're about to leave, this crowd starts running towards us. And we see in the crowd is the woman without her crutches running to us. And, um, and the people are screaming and they're excited and they're crying out that she has been healed. And still to this day, the human nature, the disbelief in my soul is to say, did that happen? Did we misunderstand? Was she fine? Like, could she run? Was she fine and we just misunderstood? And I think of, I am, I am missing the great work of God here in this moment. That, that faith is calling me to trust that Jesus has done this and trust that he can heal. He's, it's, it's the disconnect between reading these stories and saying, God, that's so great that you did that back then. That's awesome. But I don't know if I see that today. And even when I see something miraculous, my tendency is to doubt and to, and to waver um, that God was really doing that, that maybe we missed something. Doubt takes over and I tend to forget what God has done. That even today as I pray for healing in people's lives, that, um, that I need that moment for God to remind me that he's done it before and he might 
Not he will 100% in this moment, but he might do it again. And here are the disciples who, how many times have they seen Jesus heal? How many times have we heard stories of demon possession and Christ rebuking the demon? And somehow they might have forgotten something. Something they have forgotten. And Jesus' harsh words to his disciples, right? Faithless, corrupt. Remember what God has done. Remember what he's done for us. Now, as I've been looking at this story, the question that I've asked, the question you may be asking, is, well, what did the disciples do wrong? Was it they just didn't believe in their head hard enough? Um, Did they say the magic words incorrectly? What was wrong? uh, Lord, give us the clear uh, application here. How might we be able to step in and cast out demons and heal and rebuke and restore? Where was the disciples' failure? What might we learn from that? And it's been interesting for me as as I've been uh, handed this passage from Luke, as I have felt frustration with Luke as I'm reading this because he doesn't give us the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, this conversation of what you could have done better and here's why this didn't happen and and let's learn going forward. We don't have that conversation here in Luke. If you look at the other synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark, Uh, They have this same story. They also place it after the transfiguration. Interesting. Seems they all want us to see the contrast between the mountain and coming back down to reality. But as I've been studying through this chapter in Luke, my desire has been like, thank you, Luke. Let's let Matthew take it over from here. Because in Matthew, we get this great conversation at the end with the disciples. And they ask Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this demon? Why did we fail? And Jesus has this whole conversation about their little faith and that if you even had faith as a mustard seed, you could move the mountains and oh, be some great application I could pull from there. Or if I go to Mark chapter 9, Jesus in the, um, the, the private conversation that he also has with the disciples, they ask the same thing. Why couldn't we do this? And Jesus says that this demon can only be cast out with prayer. Oh, easy application that I could give. Pray more. Pray more, right? But I've been given the text from Luke, and I have been wrestling with what, what does Luke want us to see here? He has something else in mind. He doesn't give us a direct answer for why the disciples failed, why Jesus called them out for being faithless and corrupt. He doesn't tell them what they should change. Luke doesn't give us that. And what I love here is that the beauty of our three gospels, four gospels, but our three gospels here with this same story is they give us a breadth of responses to the possibility of failure. If we're in Matthew, we could learn something. If we're in Mark, we could learn something. But Luke has something special for us to see here, and that's what I want to sit in before going to Mark or Matthew in this idea of faith and prayer. Instead, Luke does something interesting here. He puts the focus on Jesus. Jesus rebuked, uh, this is verse 42, Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, gave him back to his father, and augured the people as they saw his majestic display of God's power. Jesus takes over. Now, as a teacher, <laughs> this isn't a good model of teaching, 
right? <laughs> like, if one of my students is failing in something, it would be bad if I said, okay, get out of the desk, let me sit here, and let me, let me do the work for you. You don't seem to get it, let me do it for you. Okay, there you go, let's turn it in. That's not good, you know, that's not a good teaching model most of the time, is for me to take over uh, for my students. But Jesus takes over for his disciples. He doesn't walk them through it. He doesn't say, okay, now um, Bartholomew, if you put your hand out here and do the, like, Jesus takes over. And I love this picture here with Luke is that when we're in these moments where we feel our unfaithfulness, where there's failure, when the, um, the reality of ugliness in our life is there, even something as dark as an evil spirit, often our only, oppor- our, only, um, our only path forward is to hand it over to Jesus. Jesus takes over. In my um, coming down the mountain, um, frustrated, not the moment I thought it was going to be, coming back down to reality, things are broken, things aren't going well in my life. I remember getting, uh, coming home after learning that my car was now totaled, nothing was going well in my life, um, having this very honest and open, finally an honest and open prayer to Jesus and just saying, okay, I'm, you know what? All I have is you right now. (laughs) And every Bible lesson I've ever learned is that you are enough. And this is the first time in my life that I have to believe that. that You are actually enough, Jesus. I hand this over to you. And Jesus, you know, the working in my life in that story is that um, from having a destroyed car, um, I needed a ride to places. And the only person that I knew in a moment for having a car was the person who would become my wife, um, carpooling me to San Diego and us meeting. Jesus using things I would have never expected, the loss of a car, to bring about change in my life. And to me, the mo- this picture here in Luke is that we must learn to often hand things over to Jesus that he might be the one who has to take care of these things and step into our lives and rebuke evil, things that are uh, disrupting our life, and even if it is something as dark and scary as a demon. But Jesus is the one who steps into our life and he can rebuke the evil, he can heal, he can restore. I love that picture of, of the, just that little phrase, he gave him back to his father. Restore the broken relationship. You can think of the father every day watching his boy go through this over and over and over again and feeling hopeless, begging the disciples to do something about it, and they can't do it either, handing it to Jesus, and Jesus stepping in and giving him back to his father. This is the the hard thing with Luke is that I I want there to be an easy application to say, hey, when we're in those moments, just pray more. (laughs) Just grow your faith a little bit more. And there's ways we can, you know, learn from Matthew and Mark in those moments. But, But Luke here, his focus becomes Jesus. Is that when our faith feels small, we must look to the object of our faith. I think too often we, I, you, put our faith in our faith, okay? If my faith was stronger, then these good things would happen. But I don't have faith in my faith. 
I have faith in Jesus. He's the object of my faith. It could be that the disciples had put faith in their own empowerment and not the very person who had given that to them. The object of our faith, the object of our empowerment is Jesus. So when we're in those moments where the only thing we can turn to is Jesus, he is there to take it over. But the question is, uh, what if Jesus doesn't? <laughs> what if there isn't healing in our life? What if the evil spirits don't go away? What if there's still brokenness and things don't work out? We hand it off to Jesus and yet it's still there. We still feel the pain. Without looking too, for, too far ahead and taking away from next week, the next thing Jesus talks to his disciples about is his, his upcoming death. And to me, this is the, the picture of the gospel here is that even if we have these things in our life to which we are entrusting Jesus, heal this relationship, fix this brokenness, fix this sin, these things aren't working out as I expected. I'm handing it to you, Jesus. I'm trusting you. And yet they're still there for the rest of our lives. They're not fixed. The gospel message is that there is new life on the other side. Jesus' death and resurrection is the way forward. And it doesn't make things easier, right? It doesn't make things easier to say, hey, God might not fix that for you right now, but in heaven one day, there's a, there's a hope there, but it doesn't make it easier, right? Jesus, knowing that he would be resurrected, doesn't make his death easier, right? His, his going to the cross is painful and torturous, and he feels the pain. Father, take this cup from me. We may be like the Father crying out, crying out day after day, and we might not experience the relief until Jesus comes back. And it doesn't show that Jesus has failed. It doesn't show that we have failed. It just reminds us that, that Jesus' solution wasn't that he went around and healed every single person and cast out every single demon that he could. The way he saw the solution was through his death and resurrection. His solution wasn't to stay here for eons and going to each one of our lives and fixing each individual thing, but his solution was his death and resurrection, and that's what we look forward. The last thing I want to look at is that last verse. The awe gripped the people as they saw the majestic display of God's power. Again, I'm thinking of this in contrast with the transfiguration. I'm thinking about... Jesus could have done the transfiguration right there for the crowd, right? Oh, this beautiful thing for the crowd. All would have definitely gripped them. And yet that moment was just meant for those three disciples. In fact, it says they didn't tell anyone for a while about it. Jesus instead reveals his glory. The awe of Jesus isn't in necessarily in the, the transfiguration, the, the, the display and light and blindiness and whoa, it's in him healing, in him diving into the ugliness of our lives, rebuking, healing, restoring. And so for us, we might be doing what I've done, looking to the mountains, looking to find that, God, if I could just have this spiritual high with you, things would be fixed. If I could just see your transfiguration, your glory, things would be fixed. And yet Jesus does all of this to all the crowd in brokenness and doing so with healing. 
But the way for us to see Jesus is to look at him in the brokenness. When I think about um, what, we've, what we did last week with OC United um, and, and the groups that were here, you know, it was interesting as, as someone in the crowd thinking, oh, we're gonna celebrate our anniversary. It's gonna be um, you know, a celebration of all the great things happening at our church. And I've, I've been a part of those at churches where it's look at our great ministry, look at where we've been. And, and there was a little bit of that, but what shook me was that we instead turned the attention to areas of service that um, the glory of God is revealed in working with foster care students day after day after day. (laughs) That's where Jesus is, right? Jesus is in those relationships, in the, the hardships of the day after day after day of working with broken people through broken people. That's where Jesus' glory is revealed his awe is found is not necessarily only in the moments of spiritual high, but where Jesus wants to rebuke evil, heal the broken, and restore the fatherless. So places like an OC United, it feels like if I want to experience God's glory, I've got to, I've got to meet him on the mountaintops. But Jesus is calling us to meet him in those broken relationships, in our broken world, And that's where we'll find awe as Jesus works in there. And that last piece of I'm thinking of Jesus' words from Deuteronomy, or excuse me, Moses' words in Deuteronomy, is that the thing he keeps going after with his, uh, with the people is that they forget, they forget, they forget. The disciples forget what God has done. What are ways in which we might look back at what Jesus has already done, the ways he's rebuked evil, the way he's healed, the way he's restored in our life, and develop reminders for ourselves. that as we are facing the new challenges, we might look back and say, Christ, I saw you in this. You did this. You helped here. I believe you're going to do it again. God gave his people constant reminders, a meal like the Passover. Here, eat this to remind yourself of what I've done. We're going to take communion, a weekly reminder of what Christ has done. There may be things in your life that that we might develop to recall what Christ has done in our life. They may be visual cues. You know, for me, that, that story of Nepal, while I still wrestle with what God had done there in this moment, I have a tattoo in Nepali that reminds me over and over again of that story to say, oh, I saw Jesus work here. I'm reminded, I need that reminder. We are forgetful people. We forget the awe of Jesus and what he's done. We do it so quickly. I do it so quickly. How can I recall those things that Jesus has done to help me in the midst of things that I'm not sure if Jesus is gonna do just yet? Our hope is that we might hand these things over to Jesus. He might step in, take over, and we might be in awe of him. And it might be now in this lifetime, but it might not be until he comes back. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for sending your son. He did not consider his grand glory as something to hold on to. He comes down to us, comes down the mountain into our icky, yucky, hard lives. 
Lord, we thank you that you confront evil, you heal the broken, and you restore. And Lord, we look forward to the day when you will do all of that, when you will restore all things. And Father, I pray for the people in this room, the things that they are considering that needs rebuking of evil, healing, restoration. Lord, may we hand those things to you and trust that you might step in and do so. Display your power. And Lord, may we be in awe of what you have done and what you will do. That's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection, Helping Kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal, which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to to, uh, have you join us again.